All right. Good morning, everybody. Whoa. Michael didn't tell me about the clip. Woo. Yeah. Pastor Hazen right there. The new kid. <laughs> Pull the seat out from underneath him. Man, it's great to be here. Um, like I said, my name is Rick Mullen. And oh, thanks, you. Honey. That works. And that's my lovely wife, Barbara. I'll leave that right there. Um, Man, it's so great to be back here. Um, a lot of familiar faces, but a lot of new faces. And like Brendan mentioned, um, I'm over in Lawrence. Don't hold that against me. Love a lot of you folks over here. Uh, but uh, uh, I, Barbara and I moved from California back, way back, before some of you were born, a lot of you were born, to KU. We didn't know what we were doing flying to Kansas to start a life together um, at the University of Kansas. And then God's had a credible journey for us, and here we are 25, 26 years later. Uh, one of the fun things is, is that uh, I met Jonathan and his wife Reagan, we did, early on our first year in when we were about 24 years old, and they invited us over to their apartment right across from the stadium at, at KU, and we came over, we're meeting this new couple, it's really cool, we don't know anybody in town, and they're like, yeah, we made some homemade ice cream, and I'm like, man, I don't even know what that is. In California, we don't do that kind of stuff, we buy the cheap store-bought stuff. So I'm all excited. We get there, and they bring it. They go, well, we had a little bit of a glitch. It's more like going to be ice cream soup. It didn't harden up all the way, but we had M&Ms in there. You know, it was like a soup of M&Ms and ice cream. It was really cool, but uh, we had a great time, and, and, you know, to think that here we are 25 years later, 26 years later, um, God's taken us on a great journey, and um, it's really, really special, but it is a privilege to, to be here, to be able to share with you this morning, and I know that you are in a series called The Impossible Life, which I think is awesome. What other kind of life is there to live but that kind? And experiencing the God kind of life that he wants to bring you into that you could never experience on your own. That's the impossible life that God has. And Pastor Dave Diefendorf from our church over in Kansas City was here two weeks ago talking about communing with God and, and, and how you have to set the Lord before you and have him be, be, have an intimate relationship with him and his word and understanding who he is. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan was talking about the rich young ruler and exchanging assets and how this guy had it all and he came to Jesus looking for more of life because even though he had it all, what the world told him, he didn't have something and he was looking for it. And Jesus offered him an exchange and yet he didn't bite. He didn't take it. And this morning, I want to turn to the book of Judges, to a story of a, a young man who really was self-proclaimed had nothing, maybe the opposite of the rich young ruler from last week, yet was invited into something great. And we're going to talk about this young man named Gideon. And I'll tell you this, this story of Gideon has been like a life message for me, and it has impacted my life uh, like none other in the Old Testament. And so it's something that's near and dear to me, and I want to share that here with you this morning. But I need to give you a little backdrop before we jump into Judges chapter 6. And that's this. The children of Israel had fallen away from God. All right? God's people, were, they were living in sin. They weren't following His way. And God decided, okay, I'm going to pull my protection from you. I'm just going to go like this. And what happened was this big bad enemy, the Midianites, a powerful enemy came in and started just oppressing the Israelites. So much so that they were off hiding in caves and crevices and, and hiding out from these Midianites. And so their life had been reduced to like just hiding in dark. And 
it said that the Midianites were so numerous and destructive, they were like locusts. You know, like a, like a locust had come in and just messed up everything. And so Israel's really low right here at this point. In fact, the Israelites would go out and they'd plant their crops, and then before they'd turn around, they'd go back into hiding, the Midianites would come and crush their crops, or when their crops came up, they would just go steal them all. And so this cycle was going on with the Israelites were just doing things they were supposed to do, but they were getting no profit, no benefit from it, because the enemy was so oppressive to them. So they continued in this sin for like seven years, and it finally got to a place where they were calling out to God for help. And it's now here that we're going to see God answer their cry. And we're going to jump in, Judges 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abizrite. As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Now we just stop right there for a moment. Something's not right here. Something's out of whack. You know, there's nothing's, something's warped. Because I'm no farmer, right? But here's a dude threshing wheat in a dark basement of a wine press. That's exactly not where you do this. In fact, in the old days, they would take the wheat and they would throw, go up to the top places of the high spots and they would throw it up in the air and the arid wind and the breeze would separate the wheat from the chaff. Much more efficient way to do large amounts of wheat. But here's Gideon down in a dark wine press basement. What do you call that? Sifting. Shifting. Sifting wheat by hand. And if that's not like the ultimate like, picture of futility, I don't know what it is. One wheat at a time. Okay, here we go. I mean, this is what his life has been reduced to. So, you can say that Gideon has relegated his life to just getting by. Just get, trying to get through it. Just living with it. And he's a poor, scared farmer, trying his best, bless his heart, but he's living in fear. He's living in fear. And how many of you know that fear has a way of causing us to do strange things? Remember that. Fear has a way of causing us to do some really strange things. And Gideon's living far below the design and plan for his life. So verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, if that statement is true, then why is this dude in a wine press, in a basement, hiding out? Well, here's the good news this morning. This is just an extra nugget for you. God doesn't leave us where he finds us. Amen? He finds Gideon in a low place, in a, in a tough place, and he doesn't leave him where he finds him. And God's the same for us. No matter where you are at, maybe you're at a real low, maybe you're at a high, and maybe you think you've got the bull by the horns, man, you've got life, is, is, you know, you've got it going. Yet God wants to come to you and show you what true life is. The life that he has for you is far beyond what anything this world can offer. And if you are at a low place, understand that God is there. As we sang this morning, he is there to reach out to us and to draw us into something that we never could do on our own. And we took communion this morning. It is just a wonderful reminder of what Jesus did to pay a price so that you and I don't have to stay in a dark basement. Spiritually, in our life. All right. The good news is God never leaves us where he finds us. Now, let's go to verse 13. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, 
If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Go in this your strength. What's the this? What did Gideon have? I mean, if I'm Gideon, I'm sitting there going, when he says, oh, valiant warrior, I'm probably like, who's he talking to, right? Apparently nothing, according to Gideon. Nothing was strong. I mean, Gideon gives a little litmus test there on his family about, man, we're, we're inadequate. We don't come from the right line. We don't have the right pedigree. We're nothing. And I'm the weakest in this weak clan. So he throws this pity party and tries to explain all these self-perceived limitations of why he can't be used. You got the wrong guy. So where does he find this strength? This morning I want to talk about three types of strength that Gideon experiences here from the Lord and see how it not only helps him, but it helps us and how we are to live the impossible life that God has for us. You guys ready? Buckled up? All right, here we go. The first one is the calling strength. The calling strength, the power of a name. Notice how the angel of the Lord greets Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, oftentimes when someone, even God, says something to you like that, calls you a name, or someone says something very positive about you, or says, man, you are a faith champ, man, you are great. A lot of times our tendency is to be like, oh, no, we're embarrassed. We, we, oh, man, we kind of shuck it off. We don't, we're not sure we want to receive that. But there's something powerful in this way. When we don't feel the way about ourselves that other people feel about us or that God feels about us, but God calls us the way he sees us. He doesn't call you according to how you see yourself. Because he knows a lot of times that's a big boulder i got to get out of the way. we got to crush that thing so that you can see truly who you are. God sees his past, his present, and his future, and he's able to say, valiant warrior, that's you. And he sees Gideon complete, walking in the purposes and destiny that he has for him, though maybe he has not done it yet. And I want you to know this, that God wants to tell you who you are before he tells you what to do. God wants to tell you who you are before he tells you what to do. Some of you know it's hard for people to do when they do not first believe that they can and who they are. It's hard for you to do anything without you having a faith and a belief of who you are. And just as the angel starts to unlock Gideon right here, he starts to unlock his future by telling him who he is, even though Gideon has not done one single thing yet to prove that, God wants to do the same for you and I. It's about identity. Knowing who you are and believing what's true about you. I think we sang about that this morning, didn't we? That's right. You know, I think about the power of this, and this is just a fun, small example. Um, the first day of school every year with our kids, 
we'll pull them up, get them ready for school, and then we'll, I do this little thing where I knight them, almost like graduate them into the new grade, right? And so I'll sit before, stand before my kids and get them up there and <clears throat> usually start with the oldest to the youngest. We got four of them. And, and I'll take this long plastic sword, you know, and I'm, I'm like, and I just kind of knight them like this. And I start to speak to them. Sometimes I have a word for them for that year, like, you know, diligent. You're the diligent kid. You are going to do diligent work. You know, other times it might be something else. But I just, I look into their eyes and I speak it to them. And I just spend about a minute doing this. And it's incredible how, you know, it's kind of funny and goofy and whatever, but there's a moment they just look up in my eyes. And as I speak these words into them, you can just see it going in and filling up into their, into their being. And it's like this moment, they're being told something that's true about them, that they're, this is what they're going to be, this is what they can be. And it's a powerful little moment. And I think about, that's kind of what God's doing here with Gideon. Oh, valiant warrior, I'm knighting you. Because I've got great things for you in this coming school year, Gideon. You're going to go to school and you're going to learn some things. Speaking words over people, it's powerful. So, what names are you being called right now? Who or what are you allowing to define you? Because there's an enemy that runs around here that wants to give you a whole bunch of labels. Loser. Misfit, right? Incomplete. You can't hack it. You're a mistake. You're good for nothing. But God the Father, our Heavenly Father, comes and calls you son or daughter. Chosen. Royalty. An heir. Forgiven. You're an overcomer. You're a reconciler. You're a victorious person. The Father defines His children. And God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And He's shaping His identity. And He's breaking off spirit of fear and inadequacy and the label of lies that He's put on Himself. Or that's been passed down to Him. So that's the first strength when the angel says, go and this your strength. The calling strength of God. Your identity. Who you are. Knowing that. Alright, verse 14. Let's read that again. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in the strength, and go in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian. Have I not sent you? And you notice, when the angel first, it says it, he appeared to Gideon, like he's in the room, right? He appeared to him. But this time, he looked at him. There's a big difference. He stares right into his eyes, right? And he says, Go. Now, there's a command. It's not a suggestion. I mean, the angel's getting down to, he's like, go. In this, your strength. I want to talk about the sending strength of God. Being sent. The calling strength and the sending strength. You know, I think about this in terms of like, like as a dad. You know, I, I can appear in the room, right? My presence is there. But then sometimes with my kids, like when you look at them, now it's like, my eyes are on you, right? It's something more serious. Like, I see you, I'm watching you, or I've got something for you, look right in my eyes. I want to say something to you. Go in this your strength and deliver Midian. Have I not sent you? The sending strength of God is powerful. You know, sometimes we try to run out and do things on our own, and we're not sent. And it can lead to a lot of crazy stuff. But when God sends you, 
There's something powerful in that. Not going it on your own. Not having to perform to a certain level or now qualify. Not some great ability or achievement. Just look at Gideon. But God sent him. So I've got a mission for you. In other words, you're getting out of this dark basement. You're going somewhere. And I've got plans and purposes for you that are going to affect your life, but more than just your life. And I think about this, this theme of being sent. I mean, Jesus, it says, it said this, and I don't have the verse up for you, but it says, as the Father has sent me, see, Jesus was sent by the Father. He says, I am sending you. That's what he says to his disciples. And have you heard of the Chosen show? Raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, not bad. I didn't know if I was going to have to scold you this morning. But if you haven't seen The Chosen, it's in season three, and there's about six or eight episodes per season, and I think the finale is like today and the next day, or I know some of you know. <laughs> they put it out on there. It's all free, but it's crowdfunded, and it's incredible. But you should be watching it. It's really great. It brings to life some of the scripture, and of course there's you know, poetic license and all that, but it's amazing. And one of the episodes, uh, just a couple ones back here in this season, was Jesus sending the disciples out two by two. He sent them out in pairs. And, you know, we read about it in the Bible and we imagine it and all this, but it's kind of cool when it comes to life for about 30 minutes and it shows you what he, how this could have possibly looked to these guys. You know, he sent them out. And he said, don't take any extra clothes, don't take any extra money, don't do anything, just go. And what did he, he say? I'm sending you my authority. I'm giving you my authority. That's all you got to have in your pocket. Go. Because they were looking at him like, are you crazy? You're pairing me up with that guy? I don't really, really like that disciple. I'd rather go with this guy. And you're sending me to Decapolis? Wait, I don't even know people there. And it was just like, he was sending them. And he gave him his authority. That was the powerful sending of God. So we got a calling strength, and we got a sending strength that Gideon is starting to receive. And in verse 16, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. This strength may be the most vital. God being with you. The residing strength of God. God taking up his home and residence in you. Surely I will be with you. Now notice, God had already said it once to him. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. But it's so important, God's going to stamp some emphaticness on this and say, surely I'll be with you, Gideon. Almost like introduction and conclusion, bookend. Two times. And I believe that's emphasized on purpose. That you can't do anything without my strength residing in you. Being, my strength being in you. Nothing compares to the strength. Not your ability, not your intellect, not your talent, not your family background, none of it. Nothing you bring to the table. All you have to be is a human, an image bearer of God, for him, a vessel for him to pour his residing strength into you and see what he wants to do in your life. You know, Jesus speaks to us in this way. He says, I am always, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's the greatest miracle and the greatest strategy of all time. Jesus said, hey, it's better I go away than I send my Holy Spirit. They said, you're nuts, Jesus. We love this gig with you. 
This is the greatest circus act ever. We're going around. You're multiplying food. You're healing people. We, let's not get off this train. He says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's better that I go away, that I send my Holy Spirit. Because then it's not just going to be where I am. I am going to be in all of you and everywhere I go. It's the greatest strategy of the entire world. That he would take a measly bunch of 12 disciples, knuckleheads, fishermen, bad tax collectors, crazy zealots, and put them together. And you and I are here today because of that. It's powerful, the residing strength of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul talks about that being the mystery that's been hidden for ages, that's now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how big a deal is this? Calling strength, sending strength, residing strength. Well, let's see how it impacted Gideon. Pick up the story in verse 25. Now on that same night, the Lord said, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah, that is, that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Notice this. That same night, I love how God always strikes while the fire is hot. <laughs> He's not giving Gideon any time to think about it. He's like, tonight, you're going to go do this. All right? And what did he have to do? He had to start taking this newfound presence of God, this, this, this sending, this calling, and his faith, he had to take it out for a test drive. It wasn't enough to just theorize about it in the basement anymore, but it was like, it's time to go. And it's a decision time. Gideon, were you going to answer and choose to act upon what I've just told you? And Gideon has to deal first with things close to home. What does God have him do first? He says, you have to go to your father's altar to a foreign god. You've got to cut it down, use it for firewood, do some offerings, and then build an altar to me there. What is going on there? He was having to face the fears and the bondage from his past. Generational bondage that was passing down to him. He had to deal with that first. And you know, that's not unlike a lot of us. You know, things that are passed down through generations to us or things that we find ourselves caught in. It could be broken relationships, a pattern of abuse or neglect or addictions. It could even be mindsets that have been passed down through generations that, that keep people down. And God says, Gideon, we've got to face that one first. I can think about my own life, and Barbara and I, when we were first married, you know, that there was this mindset, like a, a, a spirit of lack over us, like that we were going to lack things, that there wasn't going to be enough, right? That, that something like that was going to happen, and so it causes us to be greedy, hold back, not be generous, always count being calculated. You know, I came from kind of a middle-class family, but my parents were real frugal, and we were always calculating like, like that. And Barbara, she came from more where there were times where it was hard to put food on the table. So just things like that, just generational things coming in, causing you to feel like, oh, man, are we going to have enough? And you don't know some of these things are there, and you're operating, and you're living under this kind of spirit, and you don't realize it. Right. Gideon wasn't realizing that he was under some of that. And God was showing him and having him take it, Take, go take uh, victory over it. And I just want to say, we were at a place in our lives where Barbara and I were known as dinks. You ever heard of dinks? Dual income, no kids. 
D-I-N-K, dinks. So we had two incomes and no children, living high on the hog, right, man, everything's great, we got a few dollars in the bank, all that, and overnight, we went from two incomes, no kids, to one income, no income, and a child. She stopped working, I was changing jobs, and I wasn't going to get paid, I had to like, it was going to be very crazy for like a couple years. And so this was like walking on the water for us. And so that was a big enough step. We're like, wow, we're really living in faith, all that good stuff. God, you're going to come through. And at the very same time we do that, our church in Lawrence was meeting in a, in a grade school, kind of like this. We started a church building campaign. Woohoo! And you'll do one here, I believe, by faith someday. And we were young. We only had about 40 different families and you know, people in the church or whatever. And, and we had to raise a lot of money. And I remember going, yeah, yeah, we'll do. we have some money in the bank. God, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you the savings. Yes, we'll pray about it. We'll give you the savings. That'll be our, our contribution. Remember, no income and a child now, right? Well, God knew that there was a spirit of lack on us that he needed to break. He needed to break this thing. So he's not just going to do it with a little, yeah, give me your savings. He tells us, that we need to give like three times what's in that. Now, over three years, but three times that. And we're like, uh, we're not sure we can do that. But we just felt this prompting. There was so much more going on under the surface that we didn't know, that when we did that, when we pledged it, it was like something was breaking off generationally. There was a bondage that was being broken off uh, in our lives so that we could live a supernatural way, and it was bringing freedom and peace. And I look back now, and I think, wow, had God not helped us with that and, and really challenged us? It wasn't easy making that call. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were going to have to trust in God in a major way. I look back and think, what would life have been like? So Gideon has a little encounter with God. He has a little, he starts to do a few little fleece things. I don't know if you've read this story. But he says, okay, just to make sure, God, before I go on to this any further, I'm going to lay this fleece blanket out. And if there's dew on the blanket and no dew on the grass, then I'll know it's you. So God does it the next morning. And Gideon's like, whoa, okay, wait, wait, one more time. Let me put the blanket out. This time, I don't want any dew on the blanket. I want dew on the ground. Then I'll know it's you. God says, all right, next morning, gets up. Gideon's like, oh, dang. all right, I guess I got to do this, all right? And so after that, Gideon gets the trumpet, and he blows the trumpet, which is the symbol for, hey, Israelites, come on out. we got to go do something. Remember, wine-pressed Gideon, down in the basement, blows the trumpet. And woohoo, the people come, lots of people. Gideon's like, this is great, awesome, God, thank you. He brings the people, and we turn the page into chapter 7 of Judges. In verse 2, this is what God says to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into your hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. What? If you're Gideon, too many? God, what are you talking about? There's 30,000 people here. And the Midianites, they're like locusts. We're already undermanned. What are you talking about? There's too many. I, I don't know about you, but I love how God knows just how to push the right buttons. I mean, Gideon just gets enough faith and courage to blow the trumpet, and he sees his countrymen come, and then God says, 
Too many. He shrinks the army from 32,000 to 10,000. A third. And you know how he did it? You know how they discriminated between the two? God said, Gideon, tell the fearful to turn back. Amazing. That was the litmus test. If you have any fear, leave. 22,000 left. Gideon's like, okay, okay, okay. 10,000, God, I know. You said called me. You sent me. You're residing in me. We might still be able to win. 10,000 against locusts. This is crazy. But God doubles down. He shrinks the army to 300 men. Are you hearing this? 300 men. What's the purpose? He's stripping away the false securities, the misplaced hopes. If there's any residue of relying on numbers, natural strength or ability, it's gone. Gone. You may say, God, that's mean. Why would you do this to him? No, God knows what he's doing. He's breaking things because he wants Gideon to live the impossible life. He wants him to live at his full potential and his destiny, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to take him down to 300. Because biblical faith is as much about mistrust as it is trust. Mistrust in all other alternatives, but the one true one, Jesus. Did you hear that? Biblical faith is as much about mistrust as it is trust. Will you, all the other alternatives, be it wiped out, will you still trust in the one? This is allegiance. This is believing loyalty. That's what faith is all about. So, back to Barbara and my story. I've moved careers, and I'm in this financial job. It was going to take a while to get going. And now I'm doing, it's going great. Making good money. Things are great. We have some more kids now. I think up to three at this point. And I was trying to cut some deals with God. I'm in my early 30s. And I said, God, I'll be the best church member. I'll be a leader. I'll lead small groups. I'll give. I'll do what, all that stuff that I'm supposed to do. Just don't call me into full-time ministry. I, listen, let me stay in this financial job for 15 more years. When I'm 50, I'll retire early, and you can have me for everything you want. All right? He wouldn't shake. He wouldn't shake on it. And I remember one moment, I was thinking about that. Why was I doing this? Why was I giving God the Heisman on ministry? See, God has a way of peeling an onion, right? There's layers to it. He had, peel, he had peeled some layers of the onion earlier with Barbara and I, but there was still some stuff there. And he was going to take the 10,000 down to the 300, right? He's going to peel. And he's like, what was going on? And it was really this spirit of self-reliance that I was still in my back pocket not really fully trusting God. Like, could he really come through and, and take care of me? So I wanted to make sure I built up this thing to where I would never have to really, if push came to shove, I could rely on it. And you know, God, he kind of was laughing at me, probably just like, oh, Rick, really? Really? But what was going on? There was something going on that was deeper in me. Self-reliance, trying to be in control. Would I trust God above everything else? And God sent some trusted friends, and, and, and I'll never forget this. I was actually on a, a, a trip in a van with guys coming to Manhattan. 
And we were on our way back. And we stopped on I-70 on one of these exits. I don't even know which one. And we pulled off. And there were like five of us in the van. And God just showed up there. They started asking me questions. Like, why are you resisting? What's going on in you? What's happening? In a good way. They, they were just asking me questions. And God just showed up and broke something in me that I had somehow not seen him as a father that I could truly trust all the way. Now, I've been walking with God for like a long time. And, but I maybe was able to like fake it a little bit or like, hmm, God, I, I trust you, yeah, but over here. And he just broke through that day, man. I just remember crying, good tears. They weren't like sad. They were like tears of joy. Like something was being released in me that, that, that God was unlocking something. And I remember he spoke that day. He said, Rick, I don't want you at 50. I want you now. You know, I'm, I just turned 51. And I'm here to tell you that I don't know what life would have been like had God not broken in on me and broken that self-reliance 16, 17 years ago. You know, the, 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 the fullness of life, the, the, the plans of God, yeah, there's been ups and downs to those times, but just the, the fulfilling, the impossible life that I would not have walked in. I would have lived in a much lower life had God not rescued me from that. I had a warped sense of things. You know, and I repented that day. Repentance is really just acknowledging to God, man, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not calling you and trusting you and who you really are as a good father, not some distant God with a checklist that's just making sure I'm doing good or bad, but a God who cares so much about me, you'd give anything for me. You, would, you care enough for me, you sent your son, and you're not going to leave me out begging for bread or lacking. I could finally hear him call me son and know who I was in him. What's the roadblock in your life? What's a spiritual stronghold that may be holding you back, like Gideon or like I was, from living the impossible life, the very best life that God has for you? I'll give you a few ideas. Spirit of lack, you heard about me like that. But what about, like, fear of man? What's well, one of them? Like, where you're, you're concerned so much of other people's opinions that it causes you, you're, really, you're not going to do th things because you're worried about what people are going to think. What about like a spiritual pride? Hey, look, I'm good on my own. I don't need anybody else. These are things, these are strongholds that sometimes we don't know we're living under. How about playing it safe? Right? I need to be in control and I am not going to risk anything. Fear of risk. That'll keep you from living the God kind of life. Or like man-pleasing, performance-driven. Hey, I got to really perform in order for people to accept me and for me to have value. These are all things that are that are pretty serious things that can keep us from living in the potential that God has for us. And God wants us to face them, to defeat them, and enter into all that he has for us. I want to pick up Gideon's story. So here we have it. Remember, we left off Gideon and the 300 versus the Midianites. The battle set. Not a, fair, not a fair battlefield. Doesn't look that way. But God allows Gideon a special tip. One night, Gideon and his friend are walking near the enemy's camp, and he hears these guys by the campfire talking about one of the dreams that they just had the night before. And it was basically this. His friend says, after they hear the dream, his friend says, Gideon, Gideon, 
that dream means that God has given the Midianites into your hands. You know, and I want to say something about this because I'm sure Gideon was probably still wondering, is this going to work out? How's this going to go? But his friend heard the dream with him and his friend encouraged him. Dude, that's a sign. We're going to do this. And I just want to say this, that faith runs in packs. Faith runs in packs. you got to run with friends that have faith. Because there's something about that. Gideon needed his friend to say, look, dude, that's it. That's the peg. That's the stake in the ground, man. We're doing this tomorrow. That dream, God's given us a hint. He's doing this. Have people in your life that remind you of God's calling, His truth, and His promises for you. You need people. You can't do life alone. You need people with faith around you. Verse 15 of chapter 7. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and his interpretation, he bowed in worship. I think this is a beautiful picture. This is like the tipping point in Gideon's heart. The revelation that God is truly for him, that he's going to be there for him. There's a complete sign of acknowledgement and surrender. He just starts worshiping God. God, you are so good. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. I'm finally getting it. His self-sufficiency was drained, and his spirit dependency was filled. And what's the result? You know when K-State's winning the game, and there's only a minute left, and they get into victory formation, and they just kneel down the ball because it's over? That's what goes on here. It's like victory formation. Gideon and the 300 didn't even have to strike in battle. They blew the trumpets, they smashed some jars with, with, jars with torches in it, made some commotion, and God caused the Midianites to just get terrified, and they started fleeing. The 300 didn't have to live. They started to pursue the thousands and thousands of the Midianites. And God confused the enemy, and they attacked and routed them. And they pursued the Midianites all the way, and captured one of their leaders at the wine press. Verse 25. Why did they mention that little detail? It's no coincidence. It's a full circle story. What began there in fear and hiding was now a place of victory. They had captured the leader. And God did that on purpose. And he looked at Gideon. See, look where you've come. When you rely on my strength, my calling, sending, and residing strength. Look where you've come. And as I close this morning, Gideon's name literally means tree feller. He had to cut down his dad's Asherah pole, right? But he also got to cut down the enemy, the Midianites, who had oppressed God's people. And only when he found his true strength was he able to live up to that calling and destiny, O valiant warrior. But the big point I want you to take away from this, it wasn't just so that Gideon could live his best life now. It wasn't about Gideon. Sure, Gideon lived and did exploits that he never could dream of. But it wasn't just so that he could have some nice little resume. It was for a bigger purpose. It was for a nation of Israel. It was for God's people. And that thing is so true for you and me. God does care about you. He knows the very hairs on your head. You are knit together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows intricately about you and how he wants to use you. But it's not just for your fulfillment and your purpose. It's for a greater purpose. For the expanding of his kingdom so that you can be a blessing, that you can impact people's lives, that you can make this world uh, 
that the righteousness, peace, and joy of God will flow like the waters cover the sea. That's who the church of God is to be. That's who you and I get to be when we live this way. So where are you finding your strength? Because it's not by might, it's nor by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the impossible life emerges when you tap into your true strength that's found only in Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you this morning, Lord, for each and every person in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would seal this word in them. God, that you would reveal to them, Lord, where it is that they might, a roadblock or something that's holding them back, a mindset or something that, God, you want to help them break through so that they can be all that you've called them to be and that they can be a blessing that impacts other people. God, you've called us into a great life with you. And Lord, we've got one life to live. Lord, let us seize the day, carpe diem. May we live to our fullness with you. God, and experience your righteousness, peace, and joy along the way. God, I pray for this over each and every person. Bless them this week, God, as you, as you move in their hearts and you, you quicken their minds to, to see themselves as you see them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.